Keep it locked right here. You're in the field with Trackstar Sports. What's up, y'all? This is Jay Jot, host of the Hawks on the Hardwood podcast, your one-stop shop for the Atlanta Hawks. Here you can get all the info on the Atlanta Hawks and keep up to date on the happenings surrounding Atlanta's pro basketball team. So listen every Saturday to Hawks in the Hardwood only on Track Star Sports. Hey yo, what's up? It's your girl Erica Mason, aka Miss Pretty and Radical, and you are in a field with Track Star Sports. Let's get it! Yo, this is Stedman with Rep the King, and y'all in the field with Track Star Sports. No. Hey, how you doing? This is Rick Sincere with Trackstar Sports. I am here with a good buddy of mine, man. Tom, go ahead and introduce yourself to the people, man. Tell them who you are and, and um, just kind of what's your affiliation with football and how that's been. Sure. Uh, name is Tom Digliani. Uh, back in the day, used to go by Tom Diggs on uh, FantasyFootball.com website where I used to write for them. Um, have, I guess, experience with football all the way from my youth on up. Um, played up till college, uh, and then basically stopped at that point. Um, fantasy football enthusiast, diehard Colts fan. Um, happy to be on here with uh, with Mr. Rick Sincere to uh, to go through um, evaluation of the AFC South today. I think if that's correct. Yep, that's what we're doing, man. Um, so Tom, I mean, as far as I've known you, man, you've always been. I've heard, always heard of the legend of Tom, man. Just in football and and um and, and just recently you've been involved in, in in something else as well, right? I know you and Vlad won a um couple of championships and um what is it? It's CrossFit, CrossFit, right? Oh yeah, I'm a avid CrossFitter, um, which is not normally a big man sport, <laughs> but uh, it lets me stay uh, quasi in shape and at least uh, allows me to eat what I want to eat and not balloon up. So that's pretty much, <laughs> I, I do it to, uh, to survive and to, to supplement my, my, uh, eating enjoyment, if you will. At least that's what I tell myself and, uh, and my wife. <laughs> that's the name of the game, man. <laughs> Work out, eat what you enjoy. That's um, right. All right, bro. Let's, um, let's hop into this. I do want to um, talk about each team in the AFC South. Um, overall, man, I thought the AFC South had a pretty um, impressive draft. Um, just for the most part, I mean, we'll break it down one by one. But I think most teams got at least some, at least some of their needs filled. And so I, I felt um, there was someone impressive. Let's, let's hop into the, um, the Houston Texans first. We'll sure. go over them. Um, they were able to draft um, Justin Reed. Um, Justin Reed, the safety out of Stanford, Mississippi State offensive lineman uh, Martinez Rankin, UFC tight end Jordan Atkins, Texas Keck wide receiver Kiki QT. Um, I really like that kid, but we'll talk about that in a second. Um, Wake Forest uh, linebacker Duke uh, Ejo Four. I'm gonna kill that name. <laughs> Our Mississippi State tight end Jordan Thomas, um, Stanford linebacker um, Peter Calabaya. No clue. And then San Jose State um, cornerback Jermaine Kelly. All right. Overall, 
Um, what impressed you about this class? How do you feel Houston did with this class? Who stands out for you as a, as a good pick for them? So uh, the, the challenge with the Texans is that essentially you can't grade their draft just off of what they did this year because really True. they didn't have a first or a second rounder, and that's because they gave up their first rounder last year to be able to move up and get Watson, and then um, they essentially gave up their second round pick to dump Brock Osweiler on the Browns. It was, I I guess, the first time we've probably, at least in my recent memory, seen an NFL team do what happens in the NBA all the time, which is, I'm going to give you a player, and for you taking him and his salary off my hands, you're going to give me a pick. (laughs) Um, So essentially, their first and second rounders were kind of sucked up by that. Um, Getting Reed in the third round was... I, I think what most people would say was kind of a coup. Um, he was, you know, in some mock drafts being mocked in the late first or early second round. So seeing him there in the third was uh, was really good value for them. Um, if you factor in that he's probably at least a second round graded pick, then it's almost like they didn't really get hurt by dumping that second rounder on Osweiler. And I think that, you know, most people would agree that giving up their first to get Sean Watson, based on how he looked last year, is well worth it. So um, I would say that the the Reed pick definitely shined to me. Um, it's questionable in terms of like, do they necessarily need him right away? Um, because they, you know, they signed Tyron Matthew in the off season. Honey Badger's there now. Um, so that being said, I don't know that they necessarily need Reed to come in and you know be a starter or a superstar for them right away, but that actually makes the pick even nicer as he gets to kind of sit and not have that pressure and grow into the position and stuff. So um, that's definitely going to be the pick that stands out. Um, the other stuff that I'm just not sure of, like Rankin, Rankin for the most part, like a lot of sites list him as a center. Uh, he's probably going to be taken there to essentially play offensive tackle. Now, I admittedly haven't watched film on the guy to know exactly how great of an offensive tackle he is. Um, I know he made, you know, something like 20 or so starts or close to 20 starts as a left tackle the past couple seasons. But he has, like, from what everyone says, he's basically got short arms. And that's not a guy you're normally going to put out at tackle. Probably why he would be listed as an interior guy. But they're going to need him to play tackle because they don't really have – much at offensive tackle, and that's where they're weak. So, um, and then the other thing that stands out to me is just they used two of their first six picks on tight ends. Um, and a lot of that probably has to do with the fact that their tight ends could not stay healthy last year. Fedorowicz, you know, I think went out with a concussion, came back, and then was concussed again. Um, I think, like, Steven Anderson missed some time with, con- with concussions and stuff, so, or maybe even other injuries on top of that. So, I don't know if that was necessarily them going for tight ends as a function of, you know, reaction from last year. But um, I I will say they had a solid draft for the picks that they had. Their draft, me as a Colts fan, their draft didn't scare me. Um, I didn't think it was, like, exceptional. (laughs) And that's normally how I judge people's drafts in my division. I, I look at your draft. And I said, which one of those picks scare me, right? Um, and if it doesn't, then I'm like, eh, 
Yes. But if if something if somebody you picked up actually strikes fear in the heart of, of, of my team, then I'm like, okay, um, I have to respect the draft a little bit more. I like um, Kiki QT. Um, he's fast. I think he didn't really get um, – uh, I, I, he, didn't, he didn't live out his full potential to me in college based on the fact that I think he's extremely fast, but I also think his quarterback didn't have a strong arm. Yeah. And I feel like if he, had a, if he was in a situation where his quarterback had a stronger arm and could lead him more, most of the times he'd be wide open. And and when he was wide open, his quarterback would underthrow him, which makes him have to kind of come back to the ball. If he had somebody to put the ball in front of him, like we could see Deshaun Watson do, right, uh, when he had somebody like a Will Fuller, I think QT immediately um, challenges in the slot because Braxton Miller is not that guy. Yep. And so I think QT does that well. Um, and then from there, I think he can actually be somebody who stretches the field a little bit, especially with a stronger arm quarterback. And yeah, so, I'm sure he's going to give Watson another really solid weapon. Um, yeah. I mean, there's been, I, I think, you know, one site that I looked at compared Kuti to, like, Andre Roberts as his NFL comparison. Um, I, you know, if you tell me, hey, the Houston Texans signed Andre Roberts, does it scare me? Not particularly. <laughs> so, um, so, I mean, but that all being said, it's really what it comes down to is what you said, which is it just gives another weapon and a guy that can take the top off a of defense to Watson, who's got a great arm and is going to buy time with his legs and, you know, hit him downfield. So when you add that to the fact that they already have Fuller and they already have Hopkins, um, yeah, it's, it, I mean, they're going to be, they're, they're naturally going to be a dangerous team, and that doesn't even touch on the fact that their defense is going to you know, take a step forward when they get Watt back this year and they get a healthy you know, Wittless back this year. And Clowney is going to get re-signed to an extension, and he's, but he's still playing for that extension right now. So, I mean, that, yeah, that team, they're a dangerous team. I mean, it, normally, as a Colts fan, before all the Andrew Luck injury stuff, it was always like, eh, I'm not really that worried about the Titans, eh, right. I'm not really worried about right. the Jaguars, and the Texans were the team to beat. Um, I think some of that's kind of gotten flipped on its head now with how good the Jaguars yep. have become. Yep. <laughs> but, but that all it's being said. It's a division now, man. It's, it is. It's a, it went from being like, you know, the laughing stock of the league and the easiest division to win to now you, you sit there and you say, ah, there's, you know, my, my Colts are probably the worst team in the division at the moment. That's, that can flip around with, with luck getting healthy, but still – You've got four legitimate teams there that mm. you know have a shot at making the playoffs if everybody remains healthy. So yeah, it'll be it'll be exciting. <laughs> and we haven't really been able to witness or bear witness to what the Texans have been trying to do for years, which is get a healthy Clowney and a healthy Watt on the field at the same time. That's the truth. We haven't been, we've never really witnessed what that's like and what that feels like. And if that's what we think it is, that's scary, especially with the Honey Badger. Now you talked about Reed earlier and them not actually meeting Reed to begin with, right? Right. Now, the Honey Badger scares me a little bit in the fact that, in, in the sense that he always gets hurt. And because he gets hurt so often, Reed may be pressed in the, in the um, duty a lot earlier than we thought. And, and that may be true, and I think if it happens, he'll be ready to, to step in and perform. I think it's anytime you've got a young guy that can come in and kind of hone his craft – and the biggest thing for these guys, even, even the guys that are playing at big-time programs like Stanford, the biggest thing is they've got to come in and they've got to get you know, acclimated to the speed of the NFL game. 
Um, not just the speed of the players, but just how quickly things happen, how quickly you have to process and all that kind sure. of stuff. And so when you're not having to do that real time on the field from the jump, which a lot of guys, I mean, the, the guys that really end up being special for the most part either come in and they can process at that speed from the get-go and they're excellent from the start, or they're guys that really, really have a strong faith in themselves and a lot of confidence so that when they kind of struggle early on in their careers, they don't get down on themselves and they don't lose their confidence. Um, I don't know enough about Reed to, to know whether or not like that type of thing would happen to him, but the benefit is that he is going to be in a situation where he's not pressed at least initially to have to be out there learning on the fly and getting up to speed on the fly. He'll be able to kind of be a part of that, you know, locker room, be a part of that defensive back group, learn from, you know, some of the best. I mean, you know, Matthews is, is a fantastic, you know, versatile um, defensive back that can, you know, play safety but also play the slot, can also blitz. Um, he's got a lot yep. that he's going to be able to learn from that guy. And to be able to do that but not have the stress of having to go out there and perform right up front is going to be beneficial to him. And then we'll see how good he is when he does get pressed into duty. Yeah, man. Um, I also like um, Atkins. So I don't – Atkins. Um, the tight end from UCF. Right. He's a mobile guy, man. Um, he's mobile. He's quick. He catches the ball very well. I don't know how well he blocks, and I think that's my only um, you know, thing about the kid, but I, I really believe he could be one of those move tight ends. That could really help out, and I know what you talked about with with them not being able to have anybody um, who can stay healthy for a stretch of time. But um, I believe this kid could be a good look for them. Yeah, he could be. I mean, he's like you said, he's going to be one of those move type guys. Um, we don't know what he's going to be like as a blocker. They haven't really had really much talent at tight end in in Houston in a in a while. No, not real talent. So, I mean, Fedorowicz is really the best they've had, and he's kind of, you know, middle of the pack. So, I mean, always going to be opportunity. I think the the biggest thing, and one thing that we're seeing with the drafting of the multiple tight ends and then the drafting of, like, Kuti and stuff, is that you're basically seeing that Houston probably says, I'm pretty well set outside with Fuller and Hopkins, and we need to find guys that are going to help us work the middle of the field. And like you said, that might be, you know, a function of Braxton Miller not being that guy. <laughs> but um, you give Watson options over the middle in addition to options outside. And, I mean, it's – I won't go as far as to say it's game over. It's game over for a team like my Colts. <laughs> Maybe not for a great defense like Jacksonville, but it's, it's going to put a lot of pressure on a lot of teams if they can start working the middle of the field as well as they work the outside. Yeah, it could be it could be scary, man. Um, how do you feel about them leaving this draft without a running back? And I know they they have Foreman, and I know they um, believe in him, but I, I'm I'm just not sure he's that guy. I believe I know they didn't draft until the third round, right? But so many great third round running backs. I mean, the the current rookie of the year was a third round guy. How do you feel about them? especially with them not truly needing a safety, how do you feel about them not going after a running back at, the, at uh, any point in the draft? I think the challenge is that 
So one thing that, you know, we won't get into a lot of the discussion on this today with covering the, covering the AFC South, but in general, the running back position as a whole has been really marginalized in terms of how much the NFL you know, like values it. Some of the best running backs are guys that are not going early on, and I know that's always been the case. You've always seen guys come out like the, you know, the priest homes of the world and guys that are like, you know, drafted rail later, undrafted free agents. They come in and they just, you know, set the world on fire. Um, but that all being said, some of the guys that are really performing now typically are guys that are going in that first to third round range. You know, Kamara looked excellent for your Saints, but he was, it's not like he was a guy that was just like a fifth or sixth round pick. You know, he, they still invested early to get him. Um, Kareem Hunt played pretty well last year, but he was, again, a third-round pick. And then you've got guys like, you know, the Fournettes, the Zeke Elliotts, the Todd Gurleys that are going early. And then you see this year that, you know, Saquon Barkley goes super early with the second pick in the draft. So I think there's value in the best running backs being invested early. And I think because the Texans did not have an early pick, they kind of sat there and said, we're at a spot where we've got to just kind of sit back and, uh, you know, take the best player available at pick three. And that happened to be Reed. There wasn't, you know, a running back at that point who justified that third-round pick enough for them to bypass Reed to do it. And then at that point, it's just, it was, a, you know, a crapshoot. I mean, you know, my Colts took a, a running back in the fourth round. By the time you got to the fourth round, there weren't really any studs left, so... We're going to talk about that and just, we're, you know what? Actually, we're going to talk about that right now. Um, let's, let's go into, um, let's get into the coach, man. So if you had to give the Texans a grade, what would it be? So I would say based on just their picks, I would give them a C plus, which sounds really low. Now, if you factor in Watson and stuff to that, then that grade jumps up to like, you know, probably a B plus or something. But just based on what they had, I give them a C plus, but that's based on what they did with the picks that they had. Man, we're thinking exact same grade, man. I gave them a C plus too. Oh, all I right. I took a picture of it before, and I can send it to you. I gave them a, <laughs> a C plus as well, and the reason I gave them a C plus is because they came away from this draft. Um, and, I mean, it's the best that they can do. You know what I mean? Like starting off in the third round is really tough to get impact players. At the same time, I know they had some needs, and I feel like going after a read at this point, even though it was a great value pick, still was a luxury pick in my estimation. Right. Even though um, Matthew is only on a one-year deal. And so the future is not guaranteed, right? That's um, right. Last, I mean, it's not, you know, who knows what will happen with him in the future, and if he'll always be a Texan. Because there was a lot of flirting with New Orleans during that time. I'm just kind of saying that based on what <laughs> happened down, you know what I mean, based on what happened down there, but whatever. <laughs> So, um, but they don't know for sure if this is, you know, a, a long-term thing. So picking him up is a smart move for them. But at the same time, I still feel like this year is a luxury pick. And right. um, I, I give him a C-plus for that if I'm not factoring in Watson. Right. If I'm factoring in Watson, it's a, it's just B-plus. Right. It's a B-plus. All right. right. So let's hop on to the, um, to the coach. Yeah, I could. Right. I mean, I could talk about the Colts all day. So at that point, I will let you kind of like lead our discussion, so that way I can right, cool beans. input. Cool. <laughs> I'll, I'll do that. I mean, it'll be the same way. If this were flipped and we're talking about the things, I'd be the same way about it, man. You know that. Yeah. Um, so okay. So 
with their draft picks, they were able to get Quentin Nelson, um, guard out of Notre Dame. Um, a lot of people say the absolute best offensive lineman in this year's draft. South Carolina State linebacker Darius Leonard um, at uh, 36 overall. Um, at 37 overall, Auburn uh, offensive guard Brandon Smith. And then um, Kimoko Ture at mm-hmm. uh, number 52. Um, Ohio State, Taquan Lewis. Um, NC State, Naheem Hines um, at, at 104 overall. Um, Northern Iowa wide receiver um, Doris Font- is it Fontaine or Fountain? Fontaine, I think. Probably Fontaine, yeah. Yeah, probably Fontaine. Um, Mississippi running back Jordan Wilkins um, at number uh, 169 overall. Clemson wide receiver Deion Kane, big get. And, and when I say big get, I mean – anyway, I won't get into the value <laughs> picks, but I'm thinking that's a good value. Um, and then um, Houston linebacker Matthew Adams at 221 overall, and then Syracuse linebacker Zaire Franklin at number 235 overall. So I'll just start off with this. Um, how do you feel – about how do you feel about getting Nelson with the sixth pick overall? So it's interesting because, uh, you know, I talked to you. You mentioned one of our close friends, Vlad, um, and uh, our VC, and I'm part of, like, multiple Colts forums and stuff like that. And I all along have said, even when we were sitting at pick three, that the guy I wanted was Quentin Nelson. Um, there were, I would f- have flirted with Bradley Chubb, but I wanted Nelson. I couldn't justify Nelson at pick three. When we traded down to six, I honestly didn't think he was even going to last there. So at that point, I was kind of sitting there resigned to the fact that we were probably going to go with a guy like, say, Roquan Smith. But when Nelson was there and we kind of turned the pick in right away, it was like one of those, like, you're watching the TV and it's like Colts are on the clock. And then all of a sudden you see like three seconds tick off. And then it's like Colts pick is in. You're like, okay, well, whatever they did, they made that decision right away. They were ready. And, uh, and Nelson, is, said that. You know, Nelson is a nasty football player. Um, the thing that I love, I mean, like that pick alone, just that pick for me, is an A-plus pick for the Colts because, not just because he's going to protect Andrew Luck, not just because people are saying he's a potentially generational guard, there's been comparisons to Larry Allen and Steve Hutchinson, and name any great offensive guard, Zach Martin, who's out there now. Like, I heard it. I heard it. And all that stuff scares me about this pick, man. You know, they're going to they're gonna basically say any great offensive guard that you've seen, they're comparing him to. The biggest thing for the Colts is it's going to change the entire culture-slash-identity of that offensive line. The offensive line has been, I won't go as far as to say soft, but nobody was afraid of that offensive line. Even back in the Peyton Manning days, it was protect Peyton Manning, don't, you know, give him enough time to get the ball out, blah, 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 blah. But they never were a team where if they said, you know what, we need one, two, three yards, we're going to run it down your throat, we're going to knock you on your butt. They're never that team. Um, just adding Nelson to the mix, and then when we get to Smith, I'll talk about Smith too. Like, it changes the entire construct of how that team is going to operate offensively. And I think that the culture change on top of the player himself in Nelson is going to like, kind of permeate even further, and it's going to do big things for the team. So, I mean, for me, it was a, an A-plus pick and I am like I couldn't be more happy with our first round pick okay um let's get in the best value pick so who's the best value you got him um maybe uh he maybe he fell a little bit further down right 
I'm right. going to be fell a little bit further and you kind of need to pounce on it. What was the best value pick for you so, in this draft? I'm sure based on what you had said before, you're going to agree with me on it. It's going to be Deion Cain. Um, mm. you know, there were, there were some guys that the Colts took who were great players who maybe they even took a little earlier than they should have based on need, based on, you know, evaluation and fit of their scheme. Kane was a guy that, I mean, for the most part, people were saying based on talent alone, he could be a second, third round pick. Um, when he was sitting there in the, in the sixth round and typically when that type of stuff happens and a guy falls like that, historically my Colts don't take that guy. He's falling for whatever reason he's falling and they just let him keep falling and they don't scoop him up. Um, the fact that they grabbed Kane, I thought was huge. They have pretty much nothing beyond T.Y. Hilton. Um, you know, you've got Chester Rogers, you've got Ryan Grant that they signed, and then a whole bunch of guys that people have never heard of. Um, they need help at receiver. And Kane, I mean, on top of just having the talent, Clemson has produced some amazing receivers who come into the NFL prepared to be receivers in the NFL. Um, I think Kane's going to come in there, and I could – I don't think he'll come in and win a job outright to start, but I think by the end of this year, he is probably going to be their, you know, receiver two to Hilton. And I think he's going to give them, or at least I hope he's going to give them the red zone ability uh, that we really haven't had in ages. I mean, Moncrief was the only guy we had that was big enough to do anything in the red zone and he never lived up to you know expectations. So I, I think that Kane was a huge pick. I would have been happy with Kane in, like, you know, late third, early fourth round. So to get him in the sixth was amazing. All right. Let me ask you this. Um, you talked about getting Kane and that being a great value pick, and I definitely agree with you. I think that was a phenomenal value pick. Watching film on him, I got really excited. He plays a lot taller than he is, and, and that's – he looks – Massive. He looks bigger on on film to me than he really is. Either way, he's a great pick, and they always find great receivers. And no matter what they do, when they come into the league, no matter how far they far, right? Like Martavis Bryant. Yeah. Like no matter how far how far they far, when how far how, I'm I'm getting messed up with my F. <laughs> no matter how far they fall, at the end of the day, they um turn out to be very productive players. Um, let me ask you this: What's the most exciting pick in the draft for you? Like that pick that happened, and you were just like, "Oh my gosh, that's that's so exciting to me." I so I would say it, it would. There's two picks that really made me like perk up. One was Darius okay. Leonard. Um, I think that Darius Leonard, like in my heart of hearts, I was hoping that he would be a guy that would last to the third round before we would take him. So when mm. they took him in the second, I didn't think the value was necessarily perfect, but he was the perfect fit for the system the Colts are switching to on defense. They don't have any linebackers. They needed a, 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 like a fast, weak side linebacker who's essentially going to come into Matt Eberflus' like, new defensive system and be their Sean Lee, if you will. Because for people that don't remember, like Dallas basically moved Sean Lee, who was their best linebacker, out of the middle linebacker spot to the weak side spot in that system in the past three years. And those were the three probably best years that Sean Lee put up. They need a guy that's going to do that. All the historical Colts' decent defenses back in the Polian era were predicated on fast, weak side linebackers who flow to the ball. 
and you know you're talking the guys like the you know you know Clint Sessions and the uh, you know Cato Junes and the you know Freddie Chiahos. He's of the same size. He's small. He's tall. He's lean. He's light, but he flies to the ball. And you know so I, I'm super excited about him. And then I'm really excited about Naheem Hines, um, only because. Hines gives them, a lot of people are comparing him to Darren Sproles, and we know what, you know, Frank Reich and folks did with Sproles in Philly, and we've seen how amazing Sproles has been throughout his career. I see, and other people may not see this, but I see more of Tyreek Hill in Hines than I even see in Sproles, you know, see him as being Sproles. Hill came into the league as like a five foot eight, hundred ninety pound guy. I think Hines is like five nine. Like he's a little bit more, you know, built. He's I think he's like closer to two hundred pounds, but he's fast. He was the fastest running back at the combine. He's a great returner, um, and he's a guy that they can split out. And they're already talking about putting him in the slot. The Colts haven't had that running back that you're going to put in the backfield and then you're going to motion him into the slot and he's going to be dangerous. They haven't had that. Since, man, I don't know, like you could argue Joseph Adai was that back in the day. I know Edron James was that back in the day. But other than that, the guys that they've been trodden out there are not scaring you. If Hines can come out there and be a guy that you can motion out and he scares you as a mismatch, you know, thing in the middle of the field, that's going to be big for that offense, especially if they're able to protect the quarterback, which they invested a lot to do. So, yeah, I thought that was a really good pick for them. Yeah, Hines was probably um, one of my most exciting um, players. Like, when I saw him, I was like, jeez, man, that dude. Okay, so he runs a 4-3, I think it's 4-3-9. Yeah, but I think they were saying 4 either way, he's sub-4, four, four, sub-4-4. Four, right. four. But when I watch him, he moves like a 4-2. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, I mean, he, there are some guys that, you know – there are guys like the Randy Mosses that, you know, you, you didn't think they were that fast, and the next thing you know they were gliding by you. He's more the opposite. He's a guy that, you know, you look at his stopwatch time and you say, well, his football speed might even be quicker. Right. And he, he looks incredibly fast. All right, let me, let me ask you this question. Who is the most questionable pick? Like the, the pick that happened to you, like, man, maybe they chose that guy at the wrong time. Or maybe it's like, you know, you just don't feel like that he was the right fit. Who was the most questionable pick? Yeah, so the, they had a lot of second-round picks, the Colts did. They had, they had three, which after trading up, they ended up with four second-rounders. Um, I can't really knock the Braden Smith pick, even though, you know, a lot of people didn't expect the Colts to take a second guard at the top of the second round. I would have loved that if that was Will Hernandez instead, but he was gone. Right. Smith was the last – starting caliber guard that they had ranked. I mean, Chris Ballard even said that. So I can't really fault that. The thing that hurt with taking Smith there is that's where I really would have liked the Colts to take a flyer on a guy like a Harold Landry who has a lot of bend and was a guy that I think could be a really good pass rusher. They ended up going with Kamoko Ture. Um, Ture is going to be one of those like high-risk, high-reward type guys. He may he, I mean, he's going to be working with Robert Mathis, you know, on, on, on the Colts, you know, practice field because Mathis is a, you know, a, a volunteer or whatever they're calling him, a defensive line consultant. I think he's going to help 
refine some of Ture's moves and make him a, a solid value. He could be great. He could be Barcavius Mingo. He could be not that great. But to me, the hardest thing for me to swallow was the Taekwon Lewis pick. And that was really just not any slight on Lewis. It was that he was the only pick, to my knowledge, that the Colts traded up. They did a lot of trading back in this draft. But that was the one time they went – from their third round pick and they gave up something to move up. And when they gave up something to move up to the bottom of the second round, I was expecting it to be someone that, you know, was, was falling down that shouldn't have fallen that far. And they were moving up to get him. Um, Lewis didn't feel like that guy for me. Like, you know, a lot of people thought he might be like late third, early fourth round guy. So they moved up at the bottom of the second to get him. And he's a guy that, Basically, I think they're going to use him a lot in their sub packages to rush from the interior and maybe kind of be their future Jabal Sheard on the outside. Now, if he becomes as good as Sheard, awesome. But he was, was, I won't say he was just a guy at Ohio State because he was one of a platoon of great defensive linemen they had there. He just didn't shine. He didn't jump off the tape at me. And so I hope I'm wrong on him. But when they moved up at the bottom of the second, I was hoping that they were moving up to take, you know, more of a name or someone that, you know, was sliding down. And that was not who I thought it would be. So that, that would probably be my – if I had to say a disappointment, that would probably be it. I'll say this, man. I actually like Lewis more than I like Teray. Like watching um, Teray on film, it seemed like he was somebody who can be easily schemed out of a play – um, pushed out of a play because I don't know if he always takes the right angles or has the right um, the right moves that are or at least you know the the type of pass rushing ability that scares me. He didn't scare me. It seemed like he had pretty much one move to me. Taquan was pretty much the same way, but he had more of an impact. Now that may be because of that that cast that he had around him, right? Yeah. Some sometimes he seemed to outshine Sam Hubbard to me, and yeah. so. I feel like Taekwon, he looked really good on film. I loved his explosiveness, um, and, and he is somebody who could benefit from some teaching. But I feel like he has more physical tools. To me, and, and I may, may be wrong, but to me, based on the film, I, I think Taekwon, I, I get more excited about him than I would um, than I do Teray. We'll I mean, see how I think pans out. again, I think Teray is a guy that like he's hit or miss, and I think you're not going to miss with Lewis, but I don't know that you're going to hit either. I mean, I've seen a lot of compa- – like a lot of people have said if they were going to compare Lewis to a, a current NFLer, it would be Adrian Claiborne. Well, Adrian Claiborne, outside of that six-sack game against Dallas, that pretty Man, much – I saw that fluke. <laughs> outside of that, he's never been a guy that's going to strike fear in the heart of anyone doing anything. He's He's – Decent at a bunch of stuff, but not exceptional or, or, or a jack of – I wouldn't even say he's a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. He's, he's good at a bunch of stuff, but not great at anything. If that's what Lewis is going to be, my question then at that point becomes, was he worth moving up to the bottom of the second round to get when there were other guys out there that, like, I would have loved to see the Colts just roll the dice on someone like, say, Arden Key there, who's got a ton of talent from LSU but had a bunch of issues if we're going to go after someone that's got issues. Um, now I completely or, understand you there. You know, or – I think is more explosive than Claiborne by, by And the other thing is, like, I know that he fell because of a horrible combine performance, and I know the Colts spent two picks on the offensive line already – 
But, man, when they moved up to the bottom of the second, if they took someone like, say, Orlando Brown and plugged him in at right tackle, and now all of a sudden you're remaking that line with, you know, Quentin Nelson, Braden Smith, and Orlando Brown, and you're adding them to Ryan Kelly and Costanzo, then I'd be sitting there saying, like, oh, man. You know, so those are the types of things, like, that's the only reason the Lewis pick left me feeling without the warm and fuzzy feeling. It has nothing to do with him as the player. It was more what I was hoping as a fan that they were doing when they were moving up. But I've got to, you know, give my trust to Ballard. He's only his second year into this rebuild, and, you know, he seems to know what he's doing, and he's heading down the right path. Um, and, I, like, last little nugget I'll add in there is, like, they were doing, like, an interview thing with Ballard, which was unheard of for the Colts and maybe unheard of for most teams in this league, but he pretty much opened their their uh, their war room, whatever you want to call it, their draft room, to a bunch of the media folks after the draft was over and ran them through film and everything on the picks that they made and showed them basically what he and all of his scouts saw and why they made those picks. And I was reading a bunch of articles on it and stuff, and everybody came away impressed. And they talked, about, they talked about, and I'd never heard this term, which is why I found it interesting, he said that this was like a historical draft for them in the number of players that they had what they called 49, you know, think like San Francisco 49ers, 49. Mm-hmm. And he said typically when they put a 49 by a guy, it pretty much he means gold. for whatever reason, this guy is off our board, we will not draft him. doesn't matter oh, how okay. far he falls, doesn't matter what happens, he is not a fit for us. Could be personnel, could be system, could be, you know, <laughs> off-field issues, whatever. And he said there was a historical number of guys they did that to. So I have to think that some of the guys that I would have liked to have seen go to the Colts, that they must have had, you know, 49 next to that guy and said, this is not a guy we're going after. Um, I bet you $300. Arden Key's name was on that list. <laughs> that is probably <laughs> true. <laughs> so, so yeah, but all in all, you know, if you were going to make me give my team, like, I'm normally, I'm a pessimist. I'm a glass half empty type guy, so I can prepare for the, you know, the worst, um, but hope for the best. I would say I'd give the Colts an A minus on this draft. I mean, I'd love to give them a solid A or an A plus. I don't think they hit it out of the park, but I hit, I think they hit a triple and they're sitting there you know, waiting to be, you know, knocked in, you know, by the, by the next batter. Like, I think they really did a great job, and they came away with 11 picks, and I wouldn't be surprised if, like, maybe seven or eight of those guys actually make the team this year, and you could end up with, like, by the end of the year, maybe five starters or rotational players out of this. If you come out of any draft with, like, three to four starters, you're really doing something right. So I think they've done a good job. I mean, that's true. Um, I give them a B plus. I feel like that there were a few other things. You talked about needing a receiver. There were some good receivers on the board when they kind of picked, and even if they chose to fall back a little bit in the second round, right, and yep. just because the value wasn't there, they still could have done that. And so um, I, f- I feel to believe there was something that they needed, especially with all these draft picks. Yeah. Even though Deion Kane might pan out, right, but – you're right. You don't have a lot of weapons there. You don't have a lot of a ton of weapons at the wide receiver position. So they could have done something there. Um, I know you guys have a pretty decent tight end, right? It's really good for fantasy. Um, but I think tight end could have been a good spot to use, um, at least, you know, one of these picks on. Um, 
I don't know how great Fontaine will be, so we'll have to readdress that based on Fontaine. But what I love about this draft is the Hines pick. Um, I like the Lewis pick. I love the fact that you double invest in your offensive linemen. Um, that's needed, especially with Luck coming back, right? He needs to right. be secure. Yep, I agree. And so I love that. Um, and so I give them a B plus. No, I think we're in the same ballpark. I give them B plus. All right, um, let's move on to the Jaguars, man. One of the scariest teams in the NFL, not just the division, but the entire NFL. And so um, just we can quickly grade this, right? They Here's the move that they made. Um, Tavon um, Bryan, defensive tackle out of Florida, drafted him number 29 overall. Um, Big-time riser who came out of absolutely nowhere, at least for most of the world, right? Not for me, but for most of the world, DJ um, Tark. He came in at number 61. Um, Alabama safety Ronnie Harrison at 93. Um, uh, North Carolina offensive tackle Will Richardson. Um, Nebraska quarterback Tanner Lee. Wisconsin linebacker Leon Jacobs. And Mississippi State punter Logan Cook. So um, of the, you know, of the move that they made here, what's the best value here? So value, Ronnie Harrison. Ronnie Harrison okay. was a guy that a lot of people thought were, I mean, I saw him mocked late first round at the latest early second round. They go and get him in the third. Um, so, I mean, I outside of know, the Colts, the Jags were the best grade I would have given the AFC South. And unfortunately, being a Colts fan, I think they did a damn good job drafting again. <laughs> Their first three picks fit needs and when they didn't fit needs they basically took the best player available to make their defense even more stacked I mean I, I look at Brian who was like you were saying he was a fast riser coming up the board and you're going to add him to a line that already has you know Calais Campbell Ngakwe yeah. Malik Jackson Dante Fowler, they just signed Marcel Darius, and now you're going to have Brian throwed in there. Like, they're going to roll six to eight deep on that line. They're going to have, I mean, in my opinion, they're going to have the best defensive line in the entire NFL. And then yeah. you're going to throw Harrison back there to join, like, Ramsey and A.J. Boye. Like, I mean, th- this is a team that, like, that defense – If they had any quarterback other than Blake Bortles, if that team, the only knock I can give on them is if that team doesn't take Brian, who's a great value, but if that team doesn't take Brian and drafts Lamar Jackson in the first round, then I I sit there and I say, you know what? You know, F my life. <laughs> the Colts are not winning this thing anytime soon, and they're going to have a division with Mariota and freaking Watson and Jackson, and oh, my God. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the only thing I can give them, like, a slap on the wrist for because, man, he was there for the taking, and they didn't take him, and then they rolled with Blake Bortles. But um, other than that, man. I that... don't understand. For the life of me, I don't get what is this like infatuation with him. He's not good. I don't understand why they just put so much trust, faith, hope, life, wish, or whatever they put in the Blake Bortles. He's not that guy. He <laughs> shows you he's not that guy. He walks around like he's not that guy. The rest of the league know he's not that guy, but apparently they think he is. Uh, what manner of situation is this? I, I don't know. And, I mean, as like I said, as a Colts fan – it's the only thing I could be happy about is that at the end of the day, if 
Andrew Luck is healthy and you say, these teams are in a dogfight, would you rather have Andrew Luck or Blake Bortles? Like, I always come back to, oof, Blake Bortles can lose a game for them. All right, cool. You know, he doesn't have to win a game for them with how good their defense is and their running game is. And, you know, and they added, you know, Norwell to their offensive line, which is going to make them even more brutal. But at the end of the day, man, that's a, that was a big missed opportunity, in my opinion. Bro, everybody could see this. Everybody could see it. In the, when, when they, okay, so, yes, you're in a game playing against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Even if the Jacksonville Jaguars go up by 21, you're thinking, oh, man, you can't possibly come back. But guess what? If they go up by 21, it's most likely because the defense scored 21 points <laughs> or they scored 14 points and offense stumbled upon seven. So now – after that happens, right, you're thinking, um, if I have a really good quarterback, you can come back. And if you start to come back, they can't always stop it. And that's a, that's a known fact that happened against the Patriots because they don't have that type of quarterback that scares you. That's right. They had a chance. Okay, so look, in all season, everybody thinks, okay, cool. They see it just like the rest of the league sees it. So why don't they go after Alex Smith? Oh, he was going quick. Okay, cool. Why don't they go after Kirk Cousins, right? right. Even if they would have went after – I mean, anybody, just anybody. I would have loved to see him go after Sam Bradford. I'd have been okay with that. I'm not, I mean, it wouldn't have lasted long, but at least it would have been fun. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at that, and then I see Lamar right there. When I saw Lamar there, I felt just like you felt. I'm like, here it goes. Yep. It's a wrap for the league. Here it is. And when they said Taven Bryan, I'm not going to lie to you, a part of me – said, oh, they just don't really want to win. Like, <laughs> or, I mean, that, that may be it, right? But actually, I think it's this. I think it's as long as you have a subpar quarterback, then um, you can always underpay him. This is my thought. You can always underpay him and then keep the rest of your roster really filled. You well. can. Yep. And, and you know I think I, mean? I wouldn't put it past the fact that I think the other challenge is that, and I know we're spending a lot of time on a guy that they didn't draft, but. I know. But that being said, if you're a team that takes Lamar Jackson, you have to be a team that is willing to play to his strengths and like, playing his allow him to do Bortles. his thing. And he is about the furthest thing from Blake Bortles. I mean, he's the furthest thing from Joe Flacco, too, but I think the Ravens are ready to move in a new direction. I they're think, already playing his style with, with, with Bortles. I mean, it's, Bortles does a lot more short passes. I mean, I know that's, that's maybe not his full style, but he's running a lot. Bortles is running a ton. Right, but I think what I'm getting at with that is with him. this is a team that, like, their, their identity is similar, not exactly the same, but similar to what we saw from, like, the great Ravens teams in, like, the early 2000s. They've got a crazy good defense. They're going to shut you down defensively, and they want to run the football. They're investing heavily in their offensive line. They invested early in Fournette, and Fournette looks like he's going to be, like, a darn good player. He already is. You know, they're basically saying what we want to do is we want to pound it down your throat running the football offensively, we want to control the game clock, we want to limit, you know, the other team's possessions, and when they do have possessions, they're going to basically run into our, like, you know, barracuda of a defense that's going to just tear you apart. Jackson is a far more electric guy. You've got to realize he's going to make some mistakes. You've got to let him do his thing. You've got to let him learn on the fly. You know, if he is someone that is like Mike Vick was early in his career, or something like that, then, you know, you realize that it's, he might take a little time to mature and you've got to kind of take the good with the bad. I think this team, because they're on the upswing, I mean, they were one, 
essentially what? Like, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong because I don't remember the exact score of the game, but they were essentially, what, one quarter away from beating New England? I think they were yeah, like absolutely. New England in the fourth. Like, they were, they were one quarter away from the Super Bowl, basically. You know, yeah. so to have to change everything you do offensively by bringing in that guy and having him look over Bortles' shoulder and Bortles basically sitting there knowing that, like, any time he makes a mistake, like, he's about to get yanked, and then they've got to go through a new, like, learning process. I think, and I could be wrong, but I think that's part of what played into it. doesn't mean it was any more of a, a, a lost opportunity. But that being said, you know, coming full circle, Brian is a good pick. He's going to add to that, you know, to that defensive line. And Chark was a great pick for them as someone that's going to be one of those, like, speedsters that takes the top off the defense kind of thing. Um, he, they lost Allen Robinson, willingly lost Allen Robinson in free agency. Um, and they basically replaced him with Chark, and they signed for a year Dante Moncrief away from the Colts. So, you know, their, their receiving core, even losing Allen Robinson, still looks pretty darn good. And they bolstered their offensive line in, like, free agency, and now they add two amazing pieces in Harrison and Bryan on the defense through the draft. So I think they, like, I gave them a B-plus, which put them ever so slightly behind the Colts on my draft grade. But that's mainly because I think it would have been, like, an A-plus if they had grabbed Jackson. I think they missed the opportunity there. Yeah, I think I went with um, a B-plus here as well, and here's why. Um, I love the Tate and Brian pick. I think that's great. DJ Chalk to me um, will do great a great deal of wonder for um, for Blake Bortles, and here's why: because okay, they like to throw short, throw short, throw short, right? Um, but throwing deep to to Shark will be a really at least Blake Bortles does do pretty well throwing deep, so I'm okay with that. Um, I also like the fact that they're going to – he's a stretchy guy, so he'll stretch the field and open up the underneath running lanes for Leonard Fournette. Yeah, I agree. So I really like that. I'm not as high on Ronnie Harrison as some people are. I know why he fell. If you watch that Georgia film, like if you watch Alabama versus Georgia and you watch him specifically, you'll see why um, – I mean, at least to me, I saw why he's one of the guys who fell – and even though he could have been a first-round guy, he got schemed out of a lot of stuff. He took a lot of bad angles in that game. Um, and, and he got pushed around and missed a lot of really good tackles. And Now, granted, he was going up against Chubb, Sonny Michel, I mean, a really good Georgia team, right? Um, but at the same time, he looked like a player who um, he wasn't an impact player on the field at that time. Now, granted, I know, you know, he's a part of that system and he's a really he, he could be a good player. He does really well. but for me, he's not somebody – for me, at least I understand why he fell. Yeah, I, I could get that. And, I mean, at the end of the day, he's a third-round safety just like Justin Reed was, and he's in the same situation as Reed in that he's not to come in there and start. He's going to come in there with guys like Barry Church and Tayshawn Gibson in front of him, yep. you know, and, and he's going to join the secondary and have a chance to develop and learn. And he will, when he gets his opportunity, I think he's going to have the opportunity to look good because he's going to play behind that defensive line that's putting so much pressure on the quarterbacks and getting errant throws out there. And he's playing in a secondary with Ramsey. You know, if he does make the lineup, he's probably making it over Gibson and he'd be playing in a secondary with Ramsey church and, and Boye. I mean, so at the end of the day, like he's got a lot of guys to mask any deficiencies he has at that point. 
Yeah, so he can't help but to look good, right? That's right. I mean, you can put me back there, and I, I mean, I, I'd be, you know, I'd look like garbage. But that all being said, I'd probably have, you know, a good play here and there with that team in front of me. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, man. In practice, you like you look like an absolute star. Bordo's <laughs> throwing that thing up. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you'd be fine, man, with no problem. Oh, so that brings us what to the Titans. That brings us to the Titans, man, and 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 to a to a wrap, right? It, this is the last one to knock out. Yeah. So, um, how do you feel about the Titans draft? So um, overall, they got Alabama linebacker Rash- uh, Rashawn Evans, um, Boston College edge rusher Harold Landry, um, Arizona safety um, Dane Krushank, and yeah. then Washington State quarterback Luke Falk. How do you so, feel about it? I gave them a B, slightly below the Colts and the Jags, but above the Texans. I think Evans is going to be a darn good player for them. They just lost Avery Williamson. They needed to replace him. Otherwise, they would have been relying on Wesley Woodyard and Jayon Brown. So they needed to get an inside linebacker there. They got a good one in Evans. They traded up right in front of New England, who there was rumors that New England and Pittsburgh were looking at Evans. So they traded up against two teams that had a need for inside linebackers and got probably the last good one, the fourth best linebacker, um, and the last first-round talent that was on the board. So I thought it was a smart pick and a worthwhile trade-up. I I love Harold Landry. I thought Landry was a great get for them, especially if they keep playing like this hybrid 3-4-ish defense because, you know, one of the knocks on Landry for a team like the Colts where I wanted him to land with my team was that can he really play 4-3 end, maybe, maybe not, you know. But there really hasn't been a question, can he play 3-4 outside linebacker as a rush linebacker. He will be good there and he will be able to learn from Derek Morgan and Brian Arakpo, who are going to probably start in front of him initially. So I thought they knocked it out of the park with their first two picks. They just didn't have a lot of other picks. And, like, I don't know enough about Crookshank to, to really evaluate him, but Falk was seen as, like, a solid guy that you could develop as a backup quarterback. And I think that was big for them getting him where they did only in that Mariota was hurt last year. Um, and right now, if Mariota goes down this year, they would be starting Blaine Gabbert. So uh, stuff, that man. is something where I'm just kind of like, if Mariota is <laughs> going to keep playing the way he's playing, he's going to run around, he's going to try and extend plays, et cetera, and he gets hurt and they go down to Blaine Gabbert, like maybe you get away with it for a half a year or something like that, but that is not the way you want to be progressing into the future. So if they can develop – Falk to be a good backup to Mariota going forward, I think it's a worthwhile investment, especially at a sixth-round pick. So I thought they did well with what they had. They just didn't have a lot of picks to really build with. Um, and I don't think they were super-duper active in the offseason in terms of, like, free agency and stuff. So basically they're heading into next year with a team that's very similar to the one they, you know, had last year. And then when you look at the Colts possibly getting luck back and then 11 draft picks that they're going to be coming in with, and the Texans getting Watt and Merciless and Watson coming back, and then you've got, you know, the Jaguars basically adding Norwell and then adding the picks that we just discussed. Like, I think every team in that division got a whole lot better, and I think the Titans had a decent draft, but they didn't, like, you know, take the next step forward, and I think that they're in danger, 
despite, you know, this new trend is when you have a rookie quarterback, or, or I shouldn't say rookie quarterback, a quarterback on his rookie deal, you need to be adding talent to that team all around him and trying to win. It's basically what, you know, the Eagles did with Carson Wentz and they did it successfully. You see right now, like, you know, the, the L.A. Rams are all in. Like, they, everything they did, they threw away every pick they freaking had. Scary. You know, Scary. just basically add all this crazy talent to that team. Yeah. All yeah. in before they have to pay a Jared Goff a second contract. Like, the, then you look at the Titans and you see what they've done, and they haven't done much to add while Mariota's under that contract. And eventually, in a couple of years, Mariota's going to be owed a big deal. And then what's going to happen is they're going to be a team that is going to look similar to the Raiders, where the Raiders were an ascending team. They looked like they really were like on the cusp of breaking out. Their car, you know, trashed, uh, I think it was against the Colts, oddly enough, you know, busts up his knee heading into the playoffs, misses the rest of the year. Then when he comes back, you know, has an okay year, but didn't quite look the way he did the year before. And then all of a sudden he's due his big contract and they have to pay the man. And now, of course, they're going to also have to pay a guy like Khalil Mack. And when they do all that, now all of a sudden you're sitting there looking at that team and you're like, eh, the team looks worse than they did when they were ascending, and they've got, you know, a quarterback that's really expensive now. That's what the Titans are in danger of doing, you know. So while I like the Evans pick and I like the Landry pick, I really thought that they didn't take enough of a step forward. Like, they didn't get – I'm not saying that there were guys there that they should have taken instead of those guys. Those two guys in particular were good value. But the team in general – is not a team that I see on the rise. Um, overall, for four picks, I'd give them a B. Um, I went a little bit different here. I gave them an A, and the reason I did that is because um, they only had, you're right, they didn't have a lot of um, draft picks. They have four, right? So having four draft picks is, is really tough to do well with, right? Right. But they knocked it out of the park with Evans, and then they came back and knocked it out of the park with Landry. Right. And I think uh, Falk is really good at 199, right? Because, yeah. um, well, here's what makes me think he's good. I mean, I, I understand he's really limited arm strength-wise, but he's a TB12 disciple, and, and that's a thing, right? And so, um, and he got picked with the Tom Brady pick at 199. So <laughs> it, it's a good thing, right? I mean, it's a good sign, so we don't know if it's a really good thing. But it, he may be pressed in the service a little bit quicker than expected because of Mariota's health. So I loved Evans. What I put down when I watched him on film, fast, fluid, finds the ball all yep. the time. He's that guy. Um, Harold Landry, I love his plethora of moves. He, he can bend, man. Yeah, that he can. is a great pass, pass rusher, and he runs a 4-6. I love that kid, just like you do. Yeah. All, I mean, so, they – I couldn't agree with you more in terms of like they they did they took guys that gave them great value where they took them. Uh, I don't really fault them on any of that. I think my biggest question just when I look at that team is, you know, where where they took Evans, who else could they have taken there that would have made me like stand up and been like, "Oh, okay, I, I think that was a better move." If it were me, I'm not, I know, like, they needed Evans. They needed Evans. But if it were me, I'd be sitting there saying, I would think that team would look pretty damn dangerous if that pick were Calvin Ridley. 
Like, if you had added Ridley to Corey Davis last year, and then they still had Rashard Matthews, and they had Delaney Walker, and Derrick Henry, and Deion Lewis now, like, you're adding another weapon for Mariota. Again, like, Mariota's, like, they're only going as far as Mariota brings that team right now. Like, so adding their first three picks, they have four picks, and they added three picks on the defensive side of the ball, and the only offensive pick they did add was a guy that sits behind Mariota. So they have literally not added a player in this draft to help Mariota on the offensive side. He's going to help him on the defensive side, getting the ball back, all that kind of stuff. But that being said, they did not add a guy to help Mariota. And I know last year they tried to do that with Davis, Corey Davis and stuff, but that would be my, that's the reason why I didn't give them an A is because I sat there and said, okay, you know, if this team um, had gone out there and taken, like, Ridley and Landry, yes, their, you know, their inside linebacker spot would have been, you know, pretty rough. <laughs> they wouldn't have had guys to, you know, they wouldn't have had an Evans to plug in there. But that being said, I mean, I think it was, like, the third round last year, maybe, that they took Jay on Brown, and... As of right now, Evans is going to start, so it's probably going to be Evans starting with Woodyard and then Brown kind of mixing in there or whatever. I mean, if you had Woodyard and Jayon Brown starting instead of Evans and Woodyard, are you going to see a huge difference? You're going to see some, but are you going to see a huge difference? I don't know. Um, so I don't know. I, I'd be curious. Like, I don't disagree with you giving them an A based on the logic you gave them. I guess, I just, like you said, I, I see it a little bit differently. I mean, I could see um, where if I were guest grading, you know, uh, with with this in mind, they did need a wide receiver. They do need another wide receiver. Um, Deion King was still available when they picked um, Kershank. So that's, that's true. They could have went that route. Now, they may have 49'd him. Yeah. I mean, I know that's not their term, right? But they, yeah. they may have. They very well may have, and I couldn't fault them, but <laughs> – so they, they they may have kind of taken him off off their board. They may have also realized that you know first round wide receivers haven't been as productive as they need to be in the past few years. percent true. <laughs> so they probably went that route, and, and they got burned last year. And they could have. Um, and and correct me if I'm wrong. They selected Corey Davis above Marshawn Lattimore, right? Didn't they have a pick before the? the I'm Saints? pretty sure that's correct. <laughs> and they. And they could have selected him there, and they could have had the defensive rookie of the year. Now, granted, you know, the different system and, you know, uh, right. Marshawn Lattimore really was defensive player of the year because he filled a big need for a team who was desperate at the cornerback position. But right. at the same time, he was there for them, and they could have selected him, but they went Corey Davis instead and didn't get the productivity out of Corey Davis that they expected. No, I, I agree. I, I mean, I don't fault you. One, I understand why you don't do that move. I just, I'm not 100% sure it was the right thing. I mean, that this team has got, they're going to have some paying issues coming up. Soon, Tyler Lewan is, uh, Taylor Lewan is going to have to get paid. Um, sure. You know, then you're going to have, Mariota is going to have to get paid. Yep. And then yep. okay. after that, you're going to have guys like Jack Conklin, who's already like a stud, you know, another offensive lineman. Derek Morgan, Brian Arakpo. Right, so like you're looking at a situation where this team has got the the good young talent that they do have is going to have to get paid coming up. And, I mean, at the end of the day, I think their biggest offseason acquisition, I could be wrong because I'm probably forgetting some of the guys they did add, but I do know that they added Malcolm Butler in the offseason. Again, yeah. 
this is a team that, like, if I remember correctly, like, everything they've done in the offseason has been, like, adding to the defense. Guys like you. Can know, I say something quietly, Tom? What's that? I think Malcolm Butler's overrated. Hey, he might but be. Let's continue. Hey, he, he <laughs> might be. I mean, hey, when you've got arguably the greatest coach in the history of the game, definitely the greatest coach in the league now, willing to sit you down in the Super Bowl, ah, yeah. it says something. I don't care if all the players question it and all that stuff. If the guy making the decision that knows what he thinks is best for his team sits you and says what's best for my team is for you to not be out there in the biggest game, yeah, then are you worth whatever they paid him, $12 million a year or something like that? Ah. Yeah, people, people won't say it. But I, I'm going to say it quietly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, I will put it to you this way. Like, this year, if we have – if the Colts have a healthy Andrew Luck, I look at the the defensive backs on that team, and I look at guys like Logan Ryan came from New England, Malcolm Butler came from New England, and then they drafted Adoree Jackson, who looks like he's, you know, going to be a solid, good young player. But I look at that, and, like, that secondary does not – scare me at the moment um i maybe i'm wrong but like the colts don't have good receivers and i think that the colts can get some separation on guys like that so like at the end of the day the way you you said it yourself like the way you evaluate a draft is hey when someone takes these guys do any of these guys scare me i look at their picks and i say the only one that scares me is landry and i think that Landry's got a great chance to be like an excellent talent that could add a whole bunch of pressure coming from them. I think he's gonna he's in a good situation where he has time to learn and doesn't get thrown into the mix when he's got guys like Morgan and Arakpo in front of him or whatever. But that being said, that's the only guy in their draft that scared me. I mean, Evans is good, but I think it's rare to find an inside linebacker that scares you. You know what I mean? Like, you look at a Keekly or a Ray Lewis or, like, some of these guys. True, historically, true. And you're like, oh, I don't want to play that guy. I, I, I'm not going to say that about any linebacker in this draft. I mean, I think the Colts, if they didn't get Nelson, if Nelson was gone, they were linked a lot to Roquan Smith, and they probably would have taken him. And even then – I don't know that someone would have said, oh, no, we're playing the Colts and Roquan Smith. Like, that's not, you know, you don't have that. Um, no, I'm not saying that someone says, oh, no, we're playing the Colts and Quentin Nelson either. But I will tell you this much. If I were the defensive lineman that's lining up in front of Quentin Nelson, I would they're saying, oh, crap, I'm playing Quentin Nelson. Yeah, <laughs> you know? So that's that's the thing, man. Like I think that you do say, oh no, it's 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 Harold Landry if he really does develop. But I think they missed an opportunity to keep helping that team progress. And considering what those other teams in the division have done this off season and what they look like, whew, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a fun year in that division, especially if Andrew Luck is healthy. It's gonna be a fun year. <laughs> man, um, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us and talking to us about. Um, about the AFC South, it's it. Your your knowledge is incredible. Your knowledge is incredible. And oh, so, my pleasure, um, man. It's fun. I I can't wait to have you back on, man. Um, and 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 this is big because for me, the AFC South is not a, a division that I was like, oh my gosh, you got to be concerned about. But nowadays, it's different because with the healthy Deshaun Watson, the, the Texans are, are legit, right? Yeah. Um, with the healthy Andrew Luck, the Colts are legit. Um, the Jaguars are legit. Um, whether they had a good quarterback or not, and then <laughs> the, 
and then the Titans are legit. And so you, across the board, this is probably going to be one of the strongest divisions in football, and people may not see it coming, but it's real. Yep. And so the rise of the AFC is back, man, and, and I think it starts here, to be dead honest with you. Well, I'm, I don't know if it starts here. It starts with Tom Brady and his crew, but then after that, it's just division. Yeah, man. I mean, you, you, when you look three years down the line, I mean, as good as Brady is, a couple years, Tom Brady, time has to catch up at some point <laughs> when Tom Brady is gone and Phillip Rivers and guys like him are gone and yep. Ben Roethlisberger is gone. Like, the, the AFC South is probably going to be the division that's going to be dictating things unless we see a big ascension. You know, we could see a big ascension. <laughs> we could see Lamar Jackson – be what we think Lamar Jackson could be, and the Ravens could take a huge step forward. We could see a guy like Allen surprise people, and the Bills could jump forward. But that all being said, from what they look like right now, that AFC South is looking pretty darn good for the future. So, And the present, it's going to be a fun year to watch them. It's absolutely going to be. All right, thank you so much, Tom. I appreciate it. Um, Hey, man, are are you still writing? I am not, uh, you know, with, with the new baby and work being crazy. And not, <laughs> thank you. But, uh, but yeah, I, I am not right now, but I'm always happy to talk shop and, you know, always happy to do some writing here and there when I've got a moment because uh, it, it is football is my passion, but it is my hobby. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I wish I could do it for a living. Um, you know, I wish I had the connections to be in a front office and do all this great stuff. But um, without that, uh, I'll settle for just being able to, to talk shop with some of my boys like you and uh, and be able to kind of BS here and there and uh, and enjoy life and everything on the grid. <laughs> well, bro, we'll have you on as much as possible. Thank you so much. I truly appreciate it. This is Rick Sincere with Trackstar Sports, giving you the grades for the AFC South. Um, check us out. Hey, look, another thing I have to mention right now, we are being brought to you by Podcast Republic. Podcast Republic um, has been phenomenal, giving us a feature spot um, on their new app. The app is awesome. It's wonderful. If you have an Android like I do now with my old um, Samsung Note 5, right? <laughs> so um, if, you, if you have an Android, you can go to Podcast Republic app, manage all your um, podcasts. You can find every single podcast, including this one, and you can subscribe, and then they'll give you updates. The app is beautiful. It's very simplistic, extremely user-friendly. I'm so excited about it. All right. Thank you so much, Tom. My pleasure. All right. Y'all have a good one. This is Rick Sincere with Trackstar Sports signing out. Hey everybody, it's your boy Damo. For all of you who listen to The Outsider's Edge and you own an Android device, do me a favor, 
go over to the Google Play Store and download the Podcast Republic app now. It's a fantastic app that allows you to get all of your favorite podcasts directly on your Android devices. You can search for the podcast you want to listen to, select them as your favorites, and have them just a click away. So make sure you set Trackstar Sports as a favorite so you can listen to the newest episodes of The Outsider's Edge each and every Thursday. Again, the app is the Podcast Republic, and it's available now for your Android device. Go get it.